I think when you're building a company that has the capability to scale, you, you do it with people that you know can scale it with you. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today we have Blake Irving, who is the CEO of GoDaddy, which provides, in addition to web hosting, a whole host of other web services that I'll let him talk about. Blake was previously at Xerox, Microsoft, and Yahoo before hopping in headfirst into GoDaddy. Blake, how's it going? Good, Eric. How are you doing, man? Good. So, yeah, thanks for joining us. But, uh, yeah, I mean, why don't you tell us a little more, elaborate more on your on your story, kind of who you are and, uh, yeah, what your story is about. Well, uh, personally, so I was uh, I kind of grew up in this the area where you live now in the L.A. area uh, and was uh, actually a musician in the uh, in the area and was you know, kind of fascinated by uh, fascinated by computers and, and actually was uh, studying typography, believe it or not, one of the local Cal States and ended up at Xerox because I did a portfolio review and I ended up doing typography in the early 80s for workstations and laser printers. Uh, in El Segundo, California, and it was a um, just an eye opener where we were, you know, on the this is eighty one, but we were on the internet using full WYSIWYG workstations, removable hard drives on the internet, uh, you know, printers, you know, three hundred feet from your office, everybody connected. It was pr- pretty amazing, and I just fell in love with it. And then started, you know, getting deeper and deeper into it. The uh, design type uh, for those systems and design systems that design type for those things. Got my master's degree. Went to a, a couple of companies. One you, you didn't mention, which was Compact Computer. In the late '80s, early '90s, worked on multimedia stuff. Found some guys that were working some pretty cool multimedia stuff at uh, Microsoft. Ended up going to Microsoft in '92. Uh, and worked on a variety of things uh, at, at Microsoft through 20, uh, 2007 um, and had really had done a lot of, you know, Internet SaaS based services, had done uh, audio, video conferencing, application sharing. Again, early, early mid 90s, did a thing called Messenger, did Hotmail, did uh, their authentication technology, a lot of billing and advertising platform technologies and then exited in 2007 to to take some time off with my family. And we traveled around the world for a year or so. Uh, and then went back and I got restless. I was teaching at Pepperdine for a couple of years and got, got uh, had a great time doing that, but uh, got a little restless and wanted to go back to back to work. Uh, and a, a friend of mine, I uh, had a, uh, just some, spent some time with him, a guy named Jerry Yang, who's the founder of Yahoo. And they had a really interesting position that was opening um, uh, and their, their chief product officer. So I took that role for a couple of years, um, and a lot of turmoil in the company, as you know, um, kind of bailed after a couple of years there, took some time off and had this opportunity to come to GoDaddy. And I, you know, I had been a customer of GoDaddy's for, she's five years or so, had, you know, 40 plus domains under management, 
uh, from them. Because, you know, what, what happens is we get an idea. We want to sort of own the intellectual property around that idea. So what people do is they tend to name it. And when they name it, they go secure that property on the Internet through, the, through a domain name. And I had done that quite a few times. And while I was taking time off after Yahoo, kind of enjoying a few months before my oldest kid went to college, um, I got a call from a headhunter and said, you know, what do you think about GoDaddy? Well, I said, look, I'm a customer. I, I know that they're, you know, dominant in the domains industry. I know their customer support is amazing. And their products are, you know, okay. They're not, they're not great, but they're, they're, you know, pretty good. And, uh, you know, I know their commercials are kind of, you know, kind of wacky. Uh, so, you know, why do you ask? He said, well, they're looking for a CEO. What do you think? And I said, well, you know, they're not really a product company, so I don't know why they you know, want to talk to me. And he told me at that time, he said, well, you know, the company was acquired in part by uh, three private equity companies, KKR, Silver Lake, and TCV, in the uh, 2011 timeframe. Uh, and, you know, they believe that a product focused CEO would be somebody that they would like to, you know, take a take a look at. And would you like to are you interested? And I was like, well, you know, I don't know. Send me, you know, if you've got any data, send me data. And what they sent me blew my mind. It was a billion dollar revenue company. I thought it was much smaller. It had 85 percent retention of customers. It had an 80 percent brand awareness. It had uh, their care organization had a mid 60s NPS score. Uh, you know, the, their cash flow was great. They had built, you know, incredible loyalty from customers. They had built a, a product portfolio that was primarily hosting based. And I thought, man, you know, this is really interesting because, you know, I could as a tech tech guy and as a product person for so long, I could kind of see the seams in the business where they existed. I could actually almost tell what the organization looked like um, by looking at the way the products were composed and said, you know, this will be pretty amazing because these guys have built a billion dollar business and they've never left the United States. In fact, they never left Phoenix. You know, they hadn't built a presence from the company's perspective outside of Phoenix and they hadn't entered other markets. So I just started imagining what it would look like and, you know, thinking about how you would grow it and had a conversation with the, uh, the a couple of board members after saying, yeah, you know, I think I'm interested in this. I can imagine this could be pretty big. The, couple of board members, he was were two KKR board members, said, you know, what what do you think you'd do with a company? I said, well, you know, I think I'd, I'd take it global because it's grown revenue in the U.S. And I think there's a huge opportunity for the need state outside of the U.S. So you'd, you'd, you'd take it global. You'd flatten the platform because I can tell that there's some technology that's not uh, used ubiquitously by all the products in the company. API it so you could bring on partners um, I'd square up the marketing messages with who we are and, what, and who we are as a company, what we do and who we do it for. Um, and, and then I, I, I'd have to open, I think, tech centers and places where we think the greatest technology talent is so we could build a platform out uh, and the products. Uh, and both of the, you know, the response from the KKR partners were, you know, that that's our investment thesis. So that sounds pretty good. So maybe, maybe there's a, maybe there's some further conversations we should have. So. You know, from there, I talked with some other board members and had uh, conversations that were that were this, that were quite similar. Met the interim CEO Scott Wagner, who's now our president and chief operating officer, and was a KKR operator. Uh, really smart guy and really fun to work with. And um, spent time with him and told him what I thought was happening inside the company. He said that's exactly what's going on. And, you know, your premise on what we could do with this place is, is absolutely right. We could blow this out internationally, deepen the product portfolio, broaden the product portfolio, partner with folks as we API'd it. 
And uh, last interview was with the founder, Bob Parsons, uh, which was a, a full day interview and had a, a really wonderful time talking with him about how we built the business into a billion dollars, what his con- concept was on how to grow it. And I shared with them on, you know, what I thought and how I went about doing that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, at the end of the end of that process, I ended up taking the role. And for the last almost five years now have been digging into the strategy that I just that I told the board that we were going to endeavor on. Uh, and over the last four and a half years, we have entered uh, we have flattened the platform on top of OpenStack. You know, I think updated m- many of the, the products across the product suite have entered uh, 56 uh, different markets, have 50 more than 50 payment types uh, now. Um have grown revenue from a billion to about two and a half billion. Uh, so more than doubled revenue. We have more than doubled our earnings, more than doubled our cash flow. Uh, we have gone from you know 10 million customers to 17 million customers. Uh, you know, and, and continue to stay on 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 that trajectory. So things are are going well. We've we've opened uh, shoot tech, technical uh, operations centers in Sunnyvale, San Francisco. Uh, R&D centers, Sunnyvale, San Francisco, Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, Seattle, Kirkland, Washington area. Uh, we've opened care centers in uh, Belfast, in Dali, in China, in India to serve the Indian marketplace. And we now have a chat uh, support center in uh, Manila. Uh, and, and it's just been, you know, really deep, I think, growth, um, building out the product lines. And we've introduced some pretty cool products in the last last year and a half or so, and still have more coming. Awesome. And, you know, incredible, right? And congratulations on the growth. But one thing that I'm, I'm thinking about just right off the top of my head is, is like the transition from, you know, chief product officer to CEO. I mean, kind of what's going on in your mind when it's like, hey, come run this billion dollar plus a year company. I mean, you know, how tough was that transition? You know, it, it wasn't... Um it wasn't really tough when you surround yourself with really great people. You know, I had, you know, Scott Wagner, who was operating the company as interim CEO, incredibly great operator. Um, And then I just basically started calling folks that I knew would be that when I tell them the story of what I found at this company would would be so interested that they'd probably join, too. And I just had this hit list of folks that I wanted to have join us. You know, and I think when you're building a company that has the capability to scale, you, you do it with people that you know can scale it with you. And so I, you know, I basically recruited a bunch of top quality leaders that have then, you know, started recruiting top quality leaders themselves and started building out the business. So I think it would have been scary had I not been able to put together a team that was unbelievably strong and able to, you know, both build out a platform, globalize products, build great sales mechanics and maintain the people that were in the company that were incredibly good at what they do. Both our general counsel, our CMO, our marketing team, uh, you know, really amazing. Some of the IT guys were incredible. And now we just needed to add product and technology and platform scalability to it. Um, and and we, we were able to do it. So, you know, I think I approached it as as a primarily as a product and technology problem first, and, and a, I think sort of a uh, branding sentiment problem in the technology industry, so we could capture you know web pros and a broader customer base. But uh, you know, it wasn't it, honestly, it wasn't that scary. It was it was different, but the size of the company was 
a little bit smaller than my product groups at either Microsoft or, or Yahoo. So the scale of people was about the same. And the scale of the businesses that I ran at both of those companies in terms of building you know, product and, and building out profitability was about the same or a little bit larger. So I felt pretty comfortable on the scale side. I just needed people to come on board and grow with me. Got it. And uh, what was your pitch? I mean, you know, uh, let's say you're looking to get that, that CMO. I mean, you know, what was the pitch to say, hey, come join GoDaddy? What, what really attracted them? Well, the, the, the same thing that attracted me, it was like, oh, my gosh, look, this company's built a billion-dollar business without, you know, I think what I'd call, you know, traditional product investment and technology investment. And they've done it all in the United States. What would this look like if we could go build out a global platform for small businesses? And, you know, and I told them who the customer was. The customer are guys like you who are, you know, solopreneurs or have small teams of people that are, you know, figured it out on their own. And this, the size of the market, the TAM is absolutely huge. If you penetrated this in a way that nobody else had done globally, we could get these tiny businesses that are, you know, intending to grow to be larger to be, uh, you know, to be their platform and nobody else has done it. Amazon hasn't done it. Google hasn't done it. Microsoft hasn't done it. And if we've single purposefully build this company to service this small business person and somebody who has an idea and might just want to stand up a website, even temporarily, we, we could absolutely grow this thing to be, you know, two times, four times, 10 times the size it is today. And, you know, people started digging in when I'd call them and I'd say, you know, go, go use the products, come talk to some folks in the company and tell me what you think. And, you know, to a person, my hit list of folks that I wanted to join, they, they joined and brought folks with them with the exact same pitch. Love it. Great. And you know, I mean, I remember back in the day, GoDaddy, I mean, the, the perception wasn't that good. It seemed to be kind of a really aggressive culture. And then, I mean, now it's just shifted more towards focusing on the small business customers. I mean, what did you have to do to kind of, you know, shift everything over? And I mean, what were some challenges that you faced? No, the, the interesting thing was the, the, um, the folks inside the company, well, there, there were really, there are two, I'll call it two brand realities. One brand reality was how the company was representing itself in advertisement on TV, uh, right? And and that's what most people thought of the company. They saw the advertisement and said, oh my gosh, these are, you know, it's an aggressive marketing company. They don't do tech. You know, boy, these ads are really edgy and, you know, they're making me uncomfortable. And that must be what the company is like. But the, the experience you had when you met the employees was totally different. They cared deeply about their customer, were really into the small business person and the, the folks that have ideas. And, you know, so I think shifting the company was about asking questions about what folks in the company wanted the company to look like. What do you want this to be? What do you want us to, how do you want us to represent ourselves in the market? And, you know, I had a, I think I was predisposed to want to have the company show up as, you know, a company that provided great value to our customer, you know, and I think getting the company to shift in that direction was was pretty simple once you actually started to dissect who the customer was and found out what their customer needs were and then tried to maintain, Eric, that that sort of edginess that existed in the advertisement, but then put the customer front and center in those ads. So it wasn't so much about, you know, shocking or provoking uh, to get brand awareness. You know, when you have 80% brand awareness, you don't really need it and need any more. You just need to tell people what you do and who you do it for. So th that was the direction that we took it. And frankly, 
getting a company to follow, uh, they, they were all in already. I mean, I think there were a lot of folks in the company that really wanted to do that uh, and and tell people what we do, what we do and who we do it for. So, you know, taking those first ads that were kind of funny and, and provocative um, still, but not having them represent that shock and awe that, that put GoDaddy on the map and created that brand awareness, we just didn't have to do that anymore. And the company... The, the you know the people and the culture inside the company just said this is awesome this is we love representing ourselves in this way and we can be proud of it love it great I want to shift gears to you know you, you mentioned before you joined it was mostly focused on the U S and then now since then you've gone global so what are some lessons that you've learned going global what are some challenges that you face as well yeah so I think lessons uh, lessons learned is it's hard to take you know I've known this because I've had to do it in other companies but. Um, it's hard to take a code base that's been written specifically for you know a U.S. market and and transition it to uh, to to a global code base. And when you think about you know code, uh, you, you separate code into into really uh, a, a, a few things. You have the function of the code, you have the language language of the code, and then you have the market. And function is what it does. Language is what are you going to read? Uh, if it's you know speech recognition, what's going to read back to you? And then market is a combination of payment type, currency, and uh, language vernacular and images. And you actually have to build your code in a way that you can modularize that and, and make it very simple to do builds where the images that show up in Chile are going to look very different than the images that show up in Argentina as are the payment types, as is the currency, because you have to be very, you know, you, you want to be, you want to appear from a software perspective to be uh, in that market, you know, just down the street from them. And if you put a Chilean flag on an Argentinian website, they're not going to think you're very local. And so we were really tight on doing that. And, and frankly, that took longer than, than I would have hoped. We did it pretty quickly. Uh, but still, you know, refactoring code base and refactoring your e-com system to manage that many different currencies and payment types is pretty pretty damn tough. And I think the, the other thing we learned is that you, you once you've entered a market, you have to determine how you're going to tier your markets. Uh, we, we tier our markets in three levels. Tier one, which is worthy of uh, boots on the ground and uh, I'll call it top of funnel marketing using TV, radio, sports um, sponsorships, those type of things. Tier one are markets that are large enough from a population perspective and large and fast enough growing from an internet uh, perspective that it's worthy of, of the investment on the marketing side. Tier two is a smaller market that has fast growth, but doesn't have a population that's quite as large. And so you invest in mid funnel marketing there and you hope that those tier one markets and our tier one markets are Canada, UK, Brazil, Mexico, uh, the United States and India uh, and Australia. Those are our tier ones. And we invest the way I just described. And then you hope those investments bleed into peripheral tier two markets where we spend mid funnel marketing dollars and we'll spend on search, some display retargeting, uh, but primarily, you know, spending on search. That's the tier two market. One of the things that we learned after rolling out all those markets is you got to spend and, and go deep and actually spend more time and attention going deep into those tier ones uh, and turning tier twos into tier ones than we had originally thought, I think. And um, we actually have hired you know marketing teams in those countries that are now focused on building them out. 
Another thing that we did find was that, you know, while you're growing share, uh, while you're growing share in a market, and I'll use Europe as an example, we were pretty happy with our growth in the UK and, and the continent. Continent wasn't growing as fast as the UK. UK was growing at a really good rate for, for us. Uh, you can accelerate by acquiring a company that is in a similar business. Um, and while we were making headway, we knew that we could we could advance our growth pretty dramatically by buying somebody in the market. So in December of last year, we announced that we were purchasing a company called Host Europe Group that will then become GoDaddy EMEA for us. So they'll be focused on Europe, uh, the, the Middle East and Northern Africa, uh, and basically focused on growing those uh, markets for us. And we, you know, picked up. We spent 1.8 billion in December for Host Europe Group. Picked up 1.7 you know, million customers and a heck of a good business uh, for them. You know, and honestly, had we grown faster, would we have done that completely organically? Yeah, you know, maybe. Um, but honestly, the, the the synergies between Host Europe Group and us were so tight and so and so well aligned, both culturally and from a business perspective. We thought that we could synergistically grow the business much more quickly and actually use Host Europe Group as sort of the, if you think of them as being our European headquarters running the entire brand uh, portfolio in Europe, that's that's what we've done. And there may be other opportunities to do that again in, uh, you know, in Latin America and Asia, other parts of the world as well. So what's the process for buying, you know, a company for, for 1.8 billion? You know, what, what's that typically look like? Do you just randomly have your M&A team reach out to somebody? Like, how does that look? No, you know, you, you continually scan the environment for folks that you think are running a good business and are uh, strategically aligned with where you think the market will go over the course of the next, you know, five to 10 years. Um, and that, that you think that there's there's a, a, a really good business um, business there that you can pursue and grow. We have we've we've done quite a few uh, acquisitions over the last four and a half years. Most that have been technology tuck-ins. This is the largest we've done. The rationale behind most of these things are, you know, you do a build by partner uh, analysis to say, boy, am I better off partnering with somebody building, building this capability inside or acquiring it because I think I can get, you know, a, a, a leap of, of time by buying them. And we scan uh, a number of different markets and we, we, we really scan two particular things. Technology, we think that our customers really want and then a geographic advantage that might give us an acceleration of growth. Um, we've looked at quite a few companies that are that are in the same space. Uh, honestly, we've talked to Host Europe Group for a year before uh, we, we acquired them, maybe even longer than that, and had a very long due diligence process, got to know the leadership team, really liked them, um, did that on a casual basis, then got tighter uh, with them, and then started actually getting down to some pretty deep numbers. Uh, and what we think it could look like and what a synergy model would, would look like. You have to get to know the people really well to be able to do a successful job with an acquisition. Uh, and then when you're like-minded around what you think the business would look like going forward, then you you know basically get down to negotiating price and those types of things. But first, you're trying to determine whether you think you are more powerful together than separate and that there's a good economic outcome for all parties uh, involved. Great. What is the secret weapon to GoDaddy success? You know, I think there's there's been there's been two. Um, one is the the brand. I think because the brand has been uh, so well recognized that when we show up in a market, and you know, I'll use even Asia as an example, uh, folks know uh, who 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 we are. 
Uh, many in the tech space know what we do. So when we show up, they know what to expect. That's a huge advantage to us. Um, another something that you wouldn't expect from a tech company um, is our customer care organization. We have you know, 5,000 people in our care organization who have over a million and a half phone calls with our customers every month. And the, I guess I'll call it net promoter score or the customer satisfaction is absolutely off the charts for not just a technology company, any company that provides a f- support by phone. And we spend time on the phone with our customers, solving their problems, uh, fixing things that may not even be our problem. Maybe it's you know, set, so trying to help somebody set up email on their iPhone or solve an iPhone problem. And uh, you know, while we're in the process of doing that, consulting with them and, and helping them figure out what they need to do next to be successful with whatever they're trying to achieve with whether their web presence or their business or their nonprofit or whatever it is they're trying to get done online. And the, the care organization, those 5,000 folks, are a profit center for us, and they're responsible for 25% of our revenue. That, that support organization is something that very few tech companies uh, ever would have built. And I think that our founder, had uh, Bob Parsons, had great insight into the human nature of somebody getting a, you know, doing a startup, having you know, been one of those guys himself, and said, you know, if I talk to these people when they're at a point in their life cycle, and this is a life cycle business, um, when they're uncomfortable and don't have all the answers and we can help consult with them and solve their problem and get them onto the next thing, they're going to treat us really well. And if they're with us for you know, a couple of years, they'll stick. Uh, and that's why you know, we've got an 85% retention level. The products are getting much better and more solid. Things like uh, our, our Go Central do-it-yourself website builder or uh, our smart line, a second line telephony product for your cell phone. Those things are getting better, and we have a support team that just backs them up, you know, 100% and makes our customers' lives easy. That's the second thing that I was trying to dig at: the the, the your secret weapon being your reps. So, why do you think your your customer service reps are so successful? Uh, you know, I think we train them very, very carefully, um, so they understand how to dissect the need state of a customer, have a really cash conversation with somebody. Um, kind of assess what what problems are having, solve them as quickly as we can, and then help them figure out what they want to do next, and do it in a way where they feel like we really care. And you know, the fact of the matter is, we do. We 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 don't, you know, basically time our reps to say you got to be off the phone in five minutes. It's like solve the customer's problem, make sure they feel that they've been treated well, and then then end the call. But make sure that these folks feel like they've been helped. You know, the one powerful thing in our business is recommendation, you know, and recommendation, probably the strongest marketing tool you have. We want every one of those calls to end up being, yes, I'm, I'm going to recommend this, this, this company because of the interaction that I've had. Um, and, and I, I think it's incredibly important to make sure that you understand your customer, that you train your employees to be empathetic, to be an ear that is trying to figure out what the customer really means when they're trying to define a technical issue. Because, you know, our customers are not technically sophisticated for the most part, you know, and, and, and taking them to that next step where they can feel like we're invested in their success. Great. Just a few more questions as we wrap up here. I mean, what's one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value, like Evernote? Uh, you know, I think 
you know, if I think about SmartLine, I don't know if you've tried this, Eric, but it's, it's it's a super cool app that sits on your Android or iPhone, and it adds a second phone line uh, to your phone when you have an internet connection. So it basically, if you think about small businesses, you know, they're, they're trying to build a web presence. They're going to go stand up a website. They're going to put a phone number on that website. They should never put their personal phone number on the website. So what we did is, you know, we, we basically had customers telling us on the phone, you know, God, but you're expensive. Your support is so amazing. You ever guys ever thought about going into the phone business? Because I, I need a second line and I don't want to pay, you know, whatever phone company that mentioned to uh, for another phone nor another phone line because the service is so bad. And I, I'd rather have you guys do it. So we were getting told by customers we ought to go into this business. We acquired a company uh, over a year ago called Freedom Voice, who was already in the business re-architected their go-to-market so it was more about uh, less about landlines in offices and more about doing a uh, an IP switch that would allow a cell phone to have a second line on it. And frankly, when it comes time to put on a, a, a phone number on your website, just put a smart line number on it. You can pick the area code. Uh, soon you'll be able to pick an 800 number. You'll be able to pick vanity names. It'll have texting within the next uh, four weeks. So you can text from that number with your customers and you never have to put your personal number on a website or, or have your personal information at risk. That's a super cool product um, that we've just did. We've just soft launched. We had about 4,000 people using it today. Uh, we'll we'll launch that in a big way in September. And then also, we also have a product called Go Central, which is a super simple DIY website builder where you can build a website from your phone or from a PC. Uh, and it's incredibly powerful uh, and powerful as well. My God, you guys are adding all these new products that I've never even heard of. And I, I have a GoDaddy account, too. I just didn't know. So uh, everybody that has a GoDaddy account, go check. You got to go check it out. Yep. Cool. Uh, what is one must read book that you recommend to everyone? Uh, you know, there's a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Um, super good book about just how to build positive habits that can be, I think, what I'd, what I'd call, you know, whether in your personal life or whether in your business life to help you build, uh, you know, a habit loop that can build your success. Um, and, and that's one. I mean, there's so many darn great books out there. All right. So, Blake, this has been awesome. What's the best way for people to find you online? Uh, you can. Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Blake I. Uh, I've got a Facebook page, public page. Uh, Blake I at GoDaddy is my uh, email. Inbox is always open. All right. Great. Blake, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.